Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 to 27. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch. Open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. This is the Gospel of Christ. Hello again, everyone. Uh, If you've got a Bible, please do keep it opened. Uh, And we'll start by praying and asking for God's help. Heavenly Father, thanks for our time together this morning and uh, thank you for the reminder that you are the one who is seated on the throne. Father, we pray that you'd uh, help us as we uh, look at this part of your word now. Uh, Please continue to work in each of our hearts uh, and use this time for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're usually pretty good at uh, spotting warnings. If the fuel light in the car comes on, we'll go get petrol. Uh, If our laptop or our phone battery is about to die, uh, we'll see the warning and we'll go and charge it. If we're not feeling quite right, uh, then we'll probably, most of us, go to a a pharmacy or or go to the doctor. If there's a severe weather warning, then most of us wouldn't go out in a boat. We're pretty good at spotting the warnings. But when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes we can be far less discerning. If we're feeling spiritually flat, we don't, always, we don't always do something about it. If we're feeling distant from God, sometimes we just hope that that feeling will go away. In the passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus sounds a warning. It's a warning that should shock us out of complacency. He warns his disciples and those of his generation about the danger of unbelief. Unbelief has been described as a hard-hearted rejection of God. 
And in the face of this problem, Jesus doesn't leave us to drift in unbelief. Instead, he gives us a compelling reason to believe, a reason to continue to place our faith in him when the world around us tries to offer us other alternatives. Well, last week, Jay preached on the first half of chapter 17, and some of the disciples were fortunate to see Jesus' glory revealed for just a moment uh, as he led them up the mountain. And that glimpse of Jesus' glory is probably the climax for them to this point in the gospel so far. And we're picking up very soon after that took place. Uh, so let's, let's look at the passage, and we'll look at it in two parts. Uh, firstly, verses 17 to 23, which highlights the danger of unbelief. And then verses 24 to 27, uh, which shows us the reason for belief. So firstly, verses uh, 17 to 23. Jesus and his disciples are on the move and they come across this crowd. And they meet this man whose son has been suffering terribly. He has seizures and he ends up falling into the fire or into the water on a regular basis. Now, it may be hard for us to picture what that would actually look like, but obviously it's clearly damaging the boy. There are probably long-term effects. Imagine how difficult that would make life. The boy probably needs full-time care to make sure that he doesn't get hurt. That's probably what the father fears the most, that he's going to get seriously injured or worse. And he feels helpless. He sees the problem, but he can't do anything about it. But the father has heard about Jesus because when he sees him, he kneels before him and he says this, Lord, have mercy on my son. He tells Jesus about the boy's condition and that the disciples were unable to heal him. And we read this and we think, this guy has done the right thing. He's turned to the one who can help him and Jesus is is surely going to heal the boy and that's going to be that. But Jesus isn't impressed. Uh, Look at how pointed his words are in verse 17. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And I'm probably not the only one who was slightly surprised by Jesus' response to someone who's crying out for help. See, Jesus takes a swipe at a whole generation, including his disciples, for their lack of belief. Now, some of us here are used to people taking swipes at our generation, poor millennials, just because we like avocado on toast. Now, most most millennials, I see agreement out there, most uh, millennials just ignore the criticism. We're not interested. But when Jesus is critical of someone, uh, you can bet that there's a good reason, and it's worth paying attention And I think the reason he's so critical is that it's something he's witnessed throughout his ministry so far. The Son of God, who has come to save the lost, heal the sick, forgive sin, and yet he's met by a generation characterized by unbelief. People have rejected him and rejected his message, willingly going against God in wicked ways. And so Jesus gives his assessment of this generation. And it's a warning. But despite that, uh, he rebukes the demon that's in the boy, and immediately the boy is miraculously healed. 
The disciples are are slightly confused by what's happened because back in chapter 10, Jesus had actually given them power and authority to drive out demons and to heal the sick. And so they ask him, "Why, why couldn't we drive it out? And it's here that Jesus is particularly critical of the disciples for their little faith. That's why they were unable to heal the boy. Now I should say, I don't think uh, this section is about the size of their faith, but what their faith is in. So Jesus seems to contrast little faith in verse 19 with faith as small as a mustard seed in verse 20. Now those two things, they sound very similar, but there's a difference. The disciples' little faith meant they couldn't do what Jesus had already given them authority to do. In contrast, Jesus says that faith as small as a mustard seed would have allowed them to do what was seemingly impossible. And so the problem seems to be that their faith is ineffective. It's, It's lacking in some way. It's not about the size. He's more concerned that their faith is in the wrong place. And we've seen that already in Matthew's Gospel. They've been doing miracles for a while and maybe they've forgotten that God is the one who is behind it all. Maybe they're enjoying the power to perform these great miracles. Maybe it's it's exhilarating to bring joy to those that they heal, being revered by all the crowds of people. It seems that they've lost their way just a little bit here. And I think that's something that we can all understand because we know that even Christians can fall into the trap of placing our faith in something or someone other than God. We can become self-reliant. Uh, We can put our faith in other people, in friends, in our families, in our relationships, or in things that bring us a a feeling of security, rather than in God. Now, there's no limit to the number of things that we can place our, the number of ways that we can place our faith in the wrong things. But it seems to be what the, the disciples have done, and their little faith was ineffective at that point. It was lacking. Now, by contrast, faith in God, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, allows the impossible to be done. In fact, Jesus says, nothing will be impossible for you. And it's worth saying something here about these verses because, sadly, they're they're often used uh, in the wrong way to explain why things haven't happened the way we wanted them to. You didn't have enough faith. Maybe you've heard those words Or maybe you've even spoken those words to others. See, for us, as was the case with the disciples, it's the object of our faith that matters. The encouragement here is to to trust the God who can do these things and who will act uh, in his perfect wisdom. So the disciples, they, they get a little bit of a reality check here. And then we come to verses 22 and 23, this short interaction between Jesus and his disciples in Galilee. He says to them that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. Now, in chapter 16, Jesus also predicted his death and his resurrection. And if you look back, you'll see that Peter reacted wrongly back then. But that seemed to be overlooked by his disciples, and their reaction is one of grief. And maybe grief is an appropriate reaction. But there's also a sense in which their grief points to a lack of faith in Jesus. So it's somewhat uh, imbalanced, somewhat of an unbal- unbalanced response. But it's not surprising because they don't quite understand 
what is about to take place. And I think their response allows us to think about times where we unhelpfully overemphasize Jesus' death at the expense of his resurrection. Uh, And I think one of the reasons is because it's much easier to talk about Jesus dying than it is to speak about him being raised from the dead. Because what do we think is easier for, for others to believe? It can, be a, it can actually be a, a lack of faith that sees us shy away from talking about the resurrection. But when we fail to do that, we lose sight of the hope that the resurrection brings, particularly in the face of death. Paul's words to the Thessalonian church uh, can actually help us when it comes to thinking about death. We grieve, but not as those without hope. We have hope because Jesus rose from the dead. But you get the sense that the disciples' grief here is, is about a lack of hope. So a lack of belief is a clear theme that comes through in these verses so far. And the question it leaves us with is how long is Jesus going to put up with unbelief? Uh, it's a question that we, we can't avoid. Uh, and we're going to come back to it uh, in a little while. But as we get to this last section of our passage, verses 24 to 27, we come to see that Jesus gives us a reason for belief. This generation has failed to take Jesus at his word. The disciples have failed to put their faith in Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He cuts everyone off. No, he doesn't. Uh, The Christian faith is unique in that it's marked by God's grace towards his people. This undeserved favor that God shows us. Uh, And that's what's on display in these last verses. Jesus and the 12 disciples come to Capernaum and they're confronted by the temple tax collectors uh, over whether Jesus pays the tax or not. And we come to see that Peter is slightly misguided in his defense of the temple tax uh, to the, sorry, in his defense of Jesus to the temple tax collector. He means well, but he doesn't quite understand the situation yet. It's Jesus' question uh, when Peter gets home that tells us maybe he spoke without understanding. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? And Peter says from others. Uh, and then Jesus, Jesus explains that the children are exempt. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish that you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. So what's this last section of the passage getting at? Matthew actually tells us that uh, it's a temple tax. It's it's money for the Jewish temple. And so the tax is probably something that every single Jewish male had to pay. The question is, why exactly is Jesus exempt from this tax? Well, the temple is the house of God. And the temple tax is is seen as a payment for God, an obligation to him. But because Jesus is the son of God, it makes him exempt. Uh, Verse 26, the sons are exempt. So Jesus is claiming that he is the son of God, which which is no small thing. But it's verse 27 that really surprises us. Of all the ways to provide the tax, uh, it's incredible. Go fishing, catch a fish, uh, and you'll find a coin in the fish's mouth. Only the Son of God can do that. But I think there's something, uh, something else that's important for us. Notice Jesus' concern for others at not wanting to offend them unnecessarily. 
It's a wonderful show of humility. In our, in our current times, how often do we see people, uh, and even Christians, unnecessarily offend others, almost to provoke a response or to prove that we're right? It can happen in all sorts of settings, in person, uh, even more so online, uh, when, where we think there are perhaps less consequences. And sometimes we end up offending those who are closest to us, family members, uh, friends, even our Christian brothers and sisters. Some of us can become quite legalistic and, and lack grace when it comes to wanting to be right. See, our need to be right outweighs our desire not to offend others unnecessarily. Uh, and I know I struggle with this at times. Or we can end up being quite argumentative and unreasonable towards those whom we disagree with. Jesus could have easily made a big deal about not paying this tax. And there are times where he does make a big deal of things, uh, and it's right to make a big deal of things. But he knows that causing offence here is going to take away from the ministry that he's doing. And as Christians, we would do well to take our cue from our Lord. Notice how gracious he is. He didn't need to be. He could have ruffled a few feathers. Uh, But there are times where thinking of others actually enables the gospel to be at work, rather than unnecessarily taking away from it. And it's worth us all reflecting on Jesus' concern for others here. What are the situations where we can be more gracious uh, so as not to offend others unnecessarily? It's often in the areas where we have the strongest opinions that we consciously need to be gracious. So we see Jesus' humility, but the main way that these final verses uh, give Peter and us reason to believe is in verses 26 and 27. It says, The sons are exempt, but so that we, so that we may not offend them. Notice the word we. Jesus includes Peter as a child of God. Despite the lack of faith that the disciples have displayed, the danger of unbelief is always there. There's always something else that's, that's vying for our attention, our belief. But even in the face of that danger, Jesus provides us with a reason to believe. The privilege of being included as children of God. Excused from all the times when we've lacked faith. Here, he provides a coin In later chapters, he'll provide his blood, his life uh, for our sin. And the reason he does it is because he loves us. You'll remember the boy who was uh, demon-possessed and and had the seizures earlier in the chapter, and you would have noticed the father's love for his son, his eagerness, his desire to do what's best for his son. Uh, And there's something that's moving about it. But the love of God for us is greater still. And we see that most clearly at the cross. The son giving his life so that we might be God's sons and daughters by faith. Rising from the dead as proof that sin and death have been defeated. So in the face of our unbelief, God gives us a compelling reason to believe. But maybe you're someone who thinks, well, what's so great about being a child of God? There's something special about being fully known and being loved. God knows those that are his. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows what we hope for. He knows our pain, our suffering, our joy. 
That's the privilege that is ours as children of God, fully known and deeply loved through Christ. In a world where where we increasingly find that people don't really know us or don't really want to know us, we have the privilege of being known as children of God, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Those who, who once had no claim to such riches, now in God's kindness, uh, we have relationship with him and we look forward to eternal life with him. But like any loving father would, uh, God warns us when we're heading down the wrong path. And maybe this morning, the, the warning against unbelief and going against God is something that you are needing to hear. Perhaps you're someone who's putting your faith in the wrong place. Jesus knew the hearts of the whole generation. Uh, And he knows our hearts. What would he say of you or me? What would he say about our faith? He is the one who sees our hearts as they really are. Let me read uh, verse 17 again. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? See, there will come a day when Jesus will no longer put up with unbelief. And God's word tells us that there will be nothing worse uh, than to find ourselves in that position. But through Christ, we don't have to be in that position. In the face of our unbelief, Jesus shows us grace. He gives us the privilege of being sons and daughters of God. And all we have to do is trust him, believe in him. Uh, So I pray we would do that in response to his grace. Uh, Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the face of our unbelief, you graciously gave your Son, that we might be your sons and daughters. Lord, what a wonderful privilege we have. Please help us to put our faith in you, to look to you in all circumstances. We pray for those among us who who haven't yet believed in you. Please would you help them to join in this wonderful blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.